In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When my daughter was in grade school, there was a couple of little boys that would torment her. And she said to me, Dad, why are boys so dumb? And the short answer to that would be, well, that's just the way they come. But I gave her the longer answer. And I said, well, honey, I think these... I think these boys are trying to get your attention. I think they might like you, and this is their clumsy attempt at intimacy. And she said, well, it's still dumb. I said, well, yeah, but you'll understand later. And that's kind of the position that the disciples were in post-Easter. Jesus had told them, you'll understand later, but they certainly weren't understanding then. And the disciples were still lost and confused. Last Sunday we heard how they were doubting. And this Sunday we hear how they were confused. So there's two disciples walking along in our gospel lesson for today, Cleopas and another disciple. And they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is about a seven-mile walk. And they're walking along and they're talking earnestly with each other about all of the things that have taken place recently. And unbeknownst to them, Jesus himself sidles up to them and says, Hey, what are you fellows talking about? And they turn on him with great irony and say, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all of these things? And Jesus says rather disingenuously, what things? As if he didn't know. Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet mighty in word and deed, and we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. But then our chief priests handed him over to be killed. But now our women have amazed us by saying that, that he has risen from the dead and he's alive. And we don't know what to think. And then Jesus, walking along with them, opened to them the scriptures. And what that means is that he probably went back to the Old Testament prophets and explained the servant songs in Isaiah and other similar parts that describe the Messiah as one who suffers for the sake of the people. People at that time had a, a, a vision in mind of who the Messiah should be. Military man, miracle worker, healer, and so forth. But he just wasn't fitting into their preconceived notion. So Jesus opened the scripture to them and showed them that it was essential for the Messiah to suffer many things and die and then be raised again for the sake of saving the people. He wasn't a, a victim. He willingly did that for us. He opened the scripture to them. When they got to their house, Jesus was going to go on. They said, no, 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 stay for supper. And then he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples. Sounds a little like communion, doesn't it? And at that point, their eyes were opened, and they knew it was Jesus. And like that, he vanished. And then the two disciples said, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened to us the scriptures? And at that point, I'm kind of thinking to myself, well, you big dummies, I mean, he was right there. How could you miss that? He was right there in front of you. But here's the thing. They were seeing Jesus out of context. They had in their mind a dead Messiah, and here was a live Messiah, and it just didn't fit what their expectations were. And that happens to all of us at times. I remember a few years ago, I was at a ball game, and I saw a guy, and I thought, I should know that guy. Where do I know him from? And then I thought it over a little bit. I thought, oh, okay, that's my new dentist. And he didn't have his mask and his you know, magnifier glasses on, but I, I still should have recognized him immediately. But it took me a little while because he was out of context. 
And sometimes this happens around our households. We'll be looking for something and it's in a different place than we expect it to be and so, you know, we think it's lost. Uh, or it's a different color. I look for a silver scissors and it's an orange-handled scissors. Well, then I can't see that it's the scissors or where the peanuts, are, which canister they're in or something. And usually uh, in, in households, this starts out with uh, the husband saying this phrase, Honey, where did you put the... And then you, you, you fill in the blank or whatever it is. And uh, then, then the wife says to you, well, it's right in the second drawer where it always was. You know, you, you can't find anything. What would you do without me? And I really think, this is for the men in the congregation, I really think women actually do this on purpose sometimes so that they make us f stay humble that we're too dumb to find things and that they feel needed. I, th I think it's a plot uh, that women have to, to help us with that. Maybe not. But anyway, things we can't see. And the interesting thing to me also about this text is that the two disciples could only recognize Jesus after. They only see him in retrospect. And it has been my experience that most of the spiritual things that happen to us are not things that we recognize at the time they're happening. We only see Jesus in the rearview mirror. We only see spiritual things that happen in retrospect. At the time they're going on, we don't really see it. Let me give you an example of this. This is kind of a lengthy example of my uh, career in ministry, but it's a perfect example of me not seeing it, of me not getting it, of being clueless as I go along in my life. I got out of seminary, seminary in exile. We were told, no churches for you rebels, and that kind of turned out to be true. So after farming with my dad for six months, I got a call to a split-off mission congregation to be a worker priest. That means you have another job and then you take care of a church part-time. See, I've done this silly kind of thing before. So it was in Jamestown, North Dakota. Now, Jamestown, North Dakota is not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. And this was not exactly the plum position that I had always envisioned as I was going through college and seminary. However, Jamestown, North Dakota has the North Dakota State Hospital, the only state hospital in North Dakota, a long-term teaching hospital for both chaplaincy and chemical dependency. I tried to get into chemical dependency, and they said, no, you got this church, and it'd be too much. And I said, well, I can do it. And they said, no, nah, you can't. So then I did construction for another couple of years, and then I saw the chaplaincy uh, program open up, and I applied, and I got it. They didn't care if I had a church. Then they said, well, where do you want to do your chaplaincy work here in the state hospital? I said, how about chemical dependency? <laughs> they said, yeah, fine, nobody else wants it. So I did. Once I was over there, they got to know me. I sat in groups. I did fifth steps, lectures. And they said, you know, maybe you can do it since, you know, you're already doing it. I ended up completing a chaplaincy residency, a chemical dependency internship, and then working in an outpatient mental health center in the drug alcohol division. But here's where it gets so obvious that I should have seen it and didn't. So I'm looking at a, uh, a chaplaincy newsletter, and on the back side it has a couple of job offerings. And this is what it said. Wanted spiritual care counselor for a new treatment center in Muncie, Indiana. Must have extensive chemical dependency training and certification. Must have extensive chaplaincy training and certification. Must have three to four years parish experience and denominational endorsement. 
I looked at my wife and I said, somebody in Muncie, Indiana, wherever that is, wants me. And I sent a resume and they did. When I got there, spiritual care counselor, okay, well then that changes. When the secular humanist took over, I had to be strictly addiction counselor. Then they were going to close the treatment center. I slid over into nicotine dependency. Then they cut that position. I slid over into chaplaincy at the hospital. And uh, then, uh, by accident, wound up back in the parish after 20 years of being gone here at uh, Our Blessed Savior. And 10 years to the day later, wound up being the pastor over at St. John in Elwood. I tell you all of that to tell you this. There is not one part of that that I had planned. There is not one part of that that I can say, well, that was a heroic effort on my part to be well-rounded. All I was doing was just bouncing from pillar to post. I was trying to get in from outside because it's cold doing construction work in Jamestown, North Dakota. I was trying to stay ahead of the unemployment line, shifting from this position to that to the next. I, I took advantage of an opportunity that just showed up by accident in the parish. None of that was planned. None of that did I see at the time as God's hand in that. And yet, uh, as clueless as I am, when I look back at my career in ministry, I, look back, I can clearly see that the Lord God was walking with me, just like he walked with the disciples to Emmaus. I can clearly see the hand of God in bringing me to all of these things to lead me to where I am today. My hunch is that all of you, if you look at your own lives and take a look in your rearview mirror, you would see sometimes too where the Lord was with you and you did not recognize him at the time. Maybe it's, well, I went to this certain college and uh, I don't know why I chose that, but then I, I met my soulmate there and got married. Or I went to this gathering and I met a guy and talked to him and, and he became my boss. I worked for him for 30 years. Uh, I, you know, I, I didn't go to a party that night. I don't know why my buddies were. And they, they got busted. Uh, or, or, you know, they, they took heroin with fentanyl and one of them died. Or, you know, things that I didn't do that I was going to do. I think if you look back in your life, you will see that there were times when the Lord was walking with you and you didn't know it. Which brings us to how did the disciples recognize Jesus finally? Well, they did because of two things. He opened the scriptures to them and he broke bread with them. And what is it that we do every Sunday in church? We open the scriptures and we break bread together. Well, now, currently, we're down to just scriptures because we have a moratorium on breaking bread together because of the coronavirus. But what that means is that opening the scriptures is even more important than it usually is. The scriptures have a power unto themselves to help us heal and to help us feel connected to the Lord and even to each other. And so we want to do that. Uh, there are United States presidents who talked about the importance of Scripture. Abraham Lincoln said, the greatest gift that God gave human beings is the Bible. John Quincy Adams read the Bible through one time at least every year. Theodore Roosevelt said, a thorough knowledge of Scripture is worth more than a college education. So we want to make sure that we are engaged in reading Scripture and listening to Scripture at this time. It's more important than ever. And the other thing I want to remind you of is that whatever the times bring, whether it's 
confusion in your life, whether it's hardship with the coronavirus or heartbreak in a relationship or whatever it is, be assured that the Lord is walking with you like he did the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. You may not recognize it at the time, but as you look in the rearview mirror, the Lord is always there. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.